To me, one of the most interesting things about Messiah on Netflix is how it goes into the question of what is the cost of belief? Because everyone believes in something, but what do they pay for that? How do they know? How do you determine what you hold on to in a world with so much chaos, confusion, and people vying for your attention? And when something good comes into the world and people want to use it to their own advantage, how do you know what to do? How do you find your path through? And this is not going to be a talk about religion, so I think I should say that up front, but I want to talk about today is the cost of belief on today's Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my latest book, Crucify My Love. And yeah, I know, especially for anybody new, especially anybody coming in from Overcast. Hi, all you new people from Overcast. Yeah, um, no, this is not a religious podcast. It's not what I'm doing. But man, the show Messiah on Netflix gave me a lot of thoughts and I really want to talk about them on today's Theme Thursday. So, here we go. Before we get started, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people. The more people that listen, the bigger the community, the bigger the community, the better the chance we have of actually communicating. And after all, that's why I do this podcast in the first place. Thank you to everyone who's already done that, and maybe consider subscribing if you haven't already. Alrighty. So, needless to say, there will be probably some mild spoilers for Messiah in this episode, but this is less about really the plot of the show than it is about the theme. See, I was talking with Art Plant on Twitter the other day, and we were talking about how it would be interesting to kind of look at how a show or a series or a book pick or a movie pick up a theme and how well they pull it off. And I'm going to give you my spoiler up front. I think this show pulls it off really, really well. But I don't think I want to, at least at this point, go into how the show handled it so much as the questions that get brought up. So like I said, there will be some mild spoilers as far as various characters. And I'm probably going to even be a little bit vague about that but how the characters interact with this interesting world of belief that's put forward in the Netflix series. So if you haven't watched it and you don't want any spoilers at all, then go watch it, come back, we'll talk. But I, I, trust me, I don't think that I can spoil much about that series. Alrighty, are you ready? Let's go. So the main plot of the series revolves around this event that takes place. And that is that this man who is called by his followers, Al-Masih, appears on the scene in Syria. 
and predicts that he will save the capital, Damascus, from Daesh. And a great sandstorm comes, a freakish sandstorm comes, blows the ISIS fighters away, and saves the city. He then goes on a series of adventures leading him to Texas and eventually to the U.S. Capitol, where various things occur, and along the way, he challenges the beliefs of everyone involved. Be that a member of the Israeli... Uh, he's not really a member of any particular group. He's kind of an outside contractor who works for the intelligence agencies within Israel. Several different Palestinians, as well as a CIA agent, an FBI agent, and a, an American pastor and his family. And each of these encounter the character of Almasi from a different point of view. Now, the biggest question that comes up is from the point of view of the CIA. The CIA is convinced that Almasi is a new represents a new form of cultural terrorism, where through elaborate hoaxes and elaborate actions, he is confusing the world to bring about chaos, that he has done enough that some Jews are starting to believe that he is the Messiah, some Muslims are believe that he is the return of Christ, and some Christians believe that he is the return of Christ. And others think that he's just a holy man, but a very important prophet in his own right. And this is causing riots. It's causing chaos throughout the world. And they believe that he's a disinformation act, that he is a new form of terrorism. Is he? And the wonderful thing about that setup for this show is it makes you realize that we are not prepared to ask any of these questions. Because since the Enlightenment, especially here in the West, and growing up in the United States, I can only really speak to our experience here for the most part. We have walled off reason and belief into two categories that have become mutually exclusive and two categories that cannot even communicate with each other. So in our society, we have those who act almost exclusively off of belief and those who act almost exclusively off reason with only some in the middle who try to have a reasonable semblance of both. We wouldn't we do not have the tools to talk about this. We do not have the tools to discuss what appears to be a person actually performing miracles because it boils down to the basic camps that you expect. Religious folk are either on the side of, oh, look, see, miracles proves that everything that we've said is true, or nope, he's not performing miracles or saying the exact things that I believe that he should be saying, so yes, he's performing miracles, but he's evil. Or skeptics saying, well, you can hoax anything, can't you? And yes, you can. You can hoax anything. But all of those answers are so boring and so predictable that for anyone who's seriously questioning or impressed by the alleged miracles, we'll say it that way, that Almasi performs, what are you going to do? You see, they're not talking to each other. There's no 
ideas being bantied about. And I know this is kind of two philosophical episodes in a row, so I'll try to be careful with this, but nobody's talking about epistemology or how do we know what we know. Nobody's having discussions about ontology or what is, is, what actually is the universe. Nobody's talking about any of the philosophical questions that should arise from just the idea of somebody who appears to be bringing people back from the dead and walking on water. Someone who doesn't act the way that we think that they should. Someone who apparently, in one video, stops a storm from hitting a small church in Texas and killing a countless numbers of people there. These are questions that need to arise. What the show is actually showing us is that we, in our society, have a dramatic problem in that we don't have a common or shared epistemology. We don't share a common sense of how we know that we, what we know is true. What, what do you base that on? What, how do you back that up? See, people that use reason often don't discuss this with people because they just point to science says, or scientists say. We have a research paper. And I'm not saying that that is an invalid argument, but it doesn't get to the answer of, well, how do you know that that research paper is accurate if you don't understand the research? How do you understand? How do you know? And people who have beliefs and who are people of faith often feel what they believe. It resonates with them. And because it resonates with them, they feel it is true. And in feeling it is true, it must be. It correlates, at least with everything that I currently know and believe, and it just feels right. And you can't debate feelings versus facts. You can't debate feelings versus evidence. Because depending on which you actually favor, which your epistemology is actually based on, well, if it's the facts, as long as you can determine what the facts are, then the facts will win. If your epistemology is based off of feeling, then that's where you're going to get things from. What we don't realize, and you may disagree with me on this, but where I think most of us actually get our truth from is what's known as virtue epistemology. Do we believe the people telling us or not? And that is a tricky, tricky place to come from. There are several schools of virtue epistemology that exist in the world, and this is not a purely philosophical podcast, so I'm not going to go into all of the details on all of them. But suffice it to say that virtue epistemology is based off of the idea of I know that something is true because whatever brings me the evidence of it shows certain intellectual virtues, be that integrity, honesty, or bravery. So intellectual honesty and bravery are hard. Well, honesty is hard to determine. 
Basically, intellectual honesty means they have a track record of not lying. If they get caught in a bunch of lies, then we're probably not going to believe them because, well, they have a track record of lies. Why would I believe somebody who has a track record of lies? Simple, right? Intellectual bravery is a bit trickier in that it says that they're not going to, that it's dangerous for them to say what they're saying that it takes courage for them to say what they're saying. Now, intellectual bravery doesn't always crop up, and it's not necessarily the best track for truth, though a lot of people do tend to rely on it. This would be something that a Christian would point out that the earliest apostles, they practiced intellectual bravery because, well, they were being rounded up and killed for their beliefs. If they knew that their beliefs weren't true, wouldn't they have just said so? Okay, there is something to that argument, but again, depending on how much you take this at face value, well, a lot of religious groups exhibit intellectual bravery, saying things that are likely to get themselves harmed or likely to end in their own suffering. So, integrity. Intellectual integrity is also a tricky thing. It brings in honesty, but it also looks at their lives. Are they practicing what they preach? Are they living up to the standards that they are putting forward? If there's somebody who says that you should love everyone, but they're hateful, evil people who are nasty to everyone, maybe you shouldn't believe them. And these are the basic ideas that come out of this school of thought. And I'm not saying that this is the only way to determine truth. I just think it's the way that we generally do. You see, scientists are scientists. So we expect them to have a certain amount of integrity, and we don't trust a scientist that has been proven to falsify records. So that's check number one. If they don't falsify their records, if they haven't been caught doing this, they get a check mark in the, okay, they're probably believable. Their information gets peer-reviewed. This can tick all three of the other ones, yes? Because maybe they're putting forth an idea that's not popular or challenges something that's conventionally accepted. All of these things are just internally checked. And again, I'm not trying to say that this is the only way or the best way to determine what is or is not true. I just think it's the natural way most of us do it. We may not have the fancy words, but it's the way that we actually determine truth. Now, when a phenomenal act occurs, first of all, are you going to believe your own eyes or people telling you what you actually saw? See, that becomes a tricky thing because there are people in the world, no matter what you think of them, that believe that they've seen aliens, they've seen Bigfoot, they've seen ghosts, but they've seen them. They've experienced them. So somebody comes along and says, well, of course there's no such thing as aliens or Bigfoot or ghosts. And here's my 20 reasons why that's not true. Well, their counter is very simple, but I saw it. And whether they actually did or not, not the point. The point is they believe that they saw that. So how are you going to dissuade them from something that they've seen? And this is the power of al actions. Whether or not you believe that he is the Messiah, no matter what flavor that takes for you, you have seen him bring back a boy who was shot on the Temple Mount. You have seen him on video 
or maybe in person, walk on water. You've seen him in video, or maybe in person, apparently stop a storm from hitting a church. You've seen him either in person or heard the tale of him bringing the sandstorm that saved Damascus. What do you do? Do you believe your eyes? Do you believe what you've seen? Or do you believe what other people tell you? See, no matter how rational a lot of people want to say that they are, most of us would believe our eyes over somebody saying, well, you know, you didn't actually see what you think you saw. And okay, what, but what if the person you saw walk on water, what if I told you that he was a trained magician? Does that change the way you think about him? Does it? Well, yeah, but how exactly did he fake it this time? Yes, I've seen magicians do that trick, but how was this set up ahead of time? Who's his co-conspirators? You see, I need further evidence to disprove what my eyes saw. And this is the argument that starts, because we don't have a common frame. And that's what this show is really about. And I'm not saying that we have to, as a society, sit down at a grand table and hammer out how we determine what is true and what isn't, and then have a giant conclave where we finally decide once and for all, this is true, that's not, this is true, that's not, because that's never going to happen. But we don't realize that that's never going to happen. And that's the power of this show. We see from the point of view of various characters who have varying motives and desires, how they experience these events and how it shapes their understanding and how they receive these things as true or false. And that's what makes the show interesting. And I didn't use this in my review of it because I thought it would turn people off, but this show is basically an epistemological thriller. How do you know? If someone comes back and starts performing apparent miracles, claiming that they are the Messiah, how do you know if they are or not? And how relevant is that in today's world? For us to discuss these things, we live in the era where people say, oh, that's fake news, whether it is or isn't. We have congressmen who are tweeting photoshopped pictures of former presidents to try to score some kind of a political point, and then retroactively coming up with reasons to justify what they did. You see, because we naturally, instinctively, look at the virtue of people to determine whether or not we trust what they're saying to us or not, whether we accept what they're saying to us is true or not, everything devolves into teams and team-making. If you're on my team then I suppose you have to be telling the truth because what you're saying aligns with what I already believe because that bias is strong in all of us. And therefore, I'm going to discount any information that comes in contrary to that and just brush it off as fake news. And that happens to all of us on every side, and I'm not a both-side person. But it happens to all of us. We are... stunningly blinded by our own biases of the world. And we have to start recognizing that and realizing that when we go into conversation with each other, yelling back and forth doesn't solve anything because the only thing that we can do is try to find 
a translation matrix by which what I am trying to explain goes into your worldview so that you can hear it and that you can explain what's happening in your worldview in a language that speaks to me. Because the real cost of belief, and everyone has one, whether it's a belief in science, a particular deity, or just themselves, or money, or their weapons, whatever it is, everyone believes in something. And the price we pay for those beliefs is they blind us to the ability to hear and understand where other people are coming from. And that breaks us off from each other and makes the world a far more dangerous place. So what we need to do is find ways to have those conversations, to realize what our own biases are, to be able to see what the biases are in the people we're talking to and translate into and out of those languages so that we can talk. Because not every person who speaks English uses the words the same way. And that's what I got out of the show. And it was powerful and wonderful. And I hope you watch it and like it too. And I hope you like this episode. If you did and you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate it in whatever app you're listening to me on. It does help out immensely. If you have any questions, comments, or topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the show, you can go into the show notes and click the voice message link. Keep it short, keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. You can also hit me up on Twitter. I am CE Dorset on both Instagram and Twitter. And you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, why not do that? I, I do these episodes five times a week on many different topics. And I'd love to have you along for the ride. If you've got a dollar, you can pass my way. That really does help out a lot. In the show notes, you'll find a link to both Patreon and the listener support. Thank you to everybody who already does that. It means the world to me. It helped me get my microphone, the software that I'm talking to you on, and it helps me pay my bills. And I like being able to do that. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, don't worry about it. No pressure, no pressure, no pressure. But if you know somebody you think would like what I'm doing, either the podcast or the books or anything, please share it with them. That helps out immensely as well. So thank you so much for your time. And whatever you're doing, don't forget to have the fun. Bye.